Dan Vondrag, Creative Director for Marvel Ultimate Alliance, and welcome to a very special episode of Power of X-Men. Our guest today is the Senior Creative Director over at Raven Software. He's worked as a programmer for Star Wars Jedi Knight 1 and 2, and has recently directed the campaign for Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. But most importantly, and this is the reason why he's here today, he was the director for X-Men Legends 2, Rise of Apocalypse, and Ultimate Alliance 1. Please welcome Dan Vondrak. During the whole making of X-Men and the casting of X-Men, I was there in the production office. Remember, you don't need to scream for help when Banshees are around. Was it supposed to be Jean or was it supposed to be Madeline? I drew that image and a deliberate hint at things to come. What makes Marvel Legends so special? Just the partnership with Marvel, you know, continuing to work with Jesse Falcon. This is your special guest host, Mr. Sinister. <laughs> you would never put Storm in a ponytail. That would be well, weird. You could, but it that would be weird. <laughs> but giving it to Jean kind of made her the girl next door that everybody could talk to. When I met Stan, he was very gracious and 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 very kind. This is the Power of X Men podcast. I am your host, Dayspring. Hope you survived the experience. <laughs> How are you doing? Uh, really, really good. Uh, you know, it's like obviously the Cold War ship, which is a huge relief. And then, um, it's really fun to reminisce about X-Men Legends and Marvel Ultimate Alliance. It's, it's games that are incredibly close to, to the entire team's heart. So, um, this will be fun. Can I tell you a secret? Go for it. I haven't played Call of Duty. Like <laughs> I'm the only one in my family, my little brother, all my primos, all my friends, they play Call of Duty but I haven't played it. I'm sorry. Yeah, no worries. Not, not, not a big concern for me. There's plenty of people <laughs> that like it. So, but I'm a crazy X-Men fan. So, but I, I gotta tell you when I was Googling you, I mean, call of duty, it's everywhere. I mean, that's a huge campaign to be working on. Congratulations on that. I mean, that is a household name. Yeah. I mean, it's been, it's been pretty crazy journey. Like we obviously did a lot of the X-Men and Marvel games and it was, I mean, just a ton of fun. And then we moved over to call of duty and for us to finally really get our shot to kind of lead the campaign last year. It, yeah, it was crazy. I mean, to know that like we're getting charts back and it's like, Hey, you know, so many millions and millions of people are playing through this content and, you know, we're kind of seeing the stats and the data on it. It, it kind of blows your mind um, when you're just thinking, you're trying to make something that you hope you would enjoy and that other people would enjoy. And then it's like millions of people are playing it. So it's, yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's pretty cool. Are you wearing a Wolverine shirt? Oh, yes. Let me see. I'm yes. wearing a jean shirt. Oh yes. The logo. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, So I want to, you know, I, I have so many questions about X-Men Legends 2 and Ultimate Alliance 1, but I want to get to know you a little bit more because I think people who work in video games just have such an interesting journey in how they get there. And when I was at HarperCollins, I published a book about video game development and it was called Blood, Sweat and Pixels by <laughs> Jason over at Kotaku. And one of the things I never realized as just a fan of video games is the amount of time, passion and, and work that goes into a video game. And oftentimes you guys don't even know if it's even going to be 
finished in time for a release date, or even if it's going to go further in development. So I guess my question is, how, how did you start off in video games? Was that something you always wanted to do? Uh, I never thought I'd be in video games for sure. Like looking back on it, realizing, oh, I'd write these dumb little stories, right? You know, I realized I maybe spent more time thinking about video games um, than I had realized. But I I went to college here in, in Wisconsin, was planning on, on, you know, I was going to get biology. I did. I got a major in biology, a minor in chemistry. I was thinking maybe I'd go to medical school, which I know I never would have been good enough for. But, you know, those are the, those are the thoughts that were going through my head. And then Believe it or not, I saw an ad in a Nintendo Power. Um, I was still in college and still getting Nintendo Power. <laughs> I miss Nintendo Power so much. <laughs> I know. It's such a... I first subscribed when you got the Dragon Warrior game for free. It was like this promo. And it, so anyways, it was... um, Yeah, Nintendo Power. So it's got good feelings to it. So I saw this ad for a school that Nintendo had um, close to their headquarters. And I was like, well, I kind of sort of programmed a little bit. When I was a kid, I just kind of messed around with stuff. I wasn't what you would call a real programmer at all. And I thought, man, I've never been more passionate about wanting to do something. And I talked to my parents about it. And, you know, they said, well, listen, finish up, graduate with a real degree. Um, <laughs> so, so if anything happens, you have that to fall back on. And I, I went to, it's a school called DigiPen. Um, and it actually started up in Canada, but then we were only there for like maybe four or five months. And they said, Hey, we're going to actually move it down the Nintendo buildings themselves. Like they was literally right there next to Microsoft and Nintendo and all those guys. And so we moved down there and yeah, just threw everything I could into it. And it was pretty crazy. Um, I was just coming back. I hadn't, it's like a four year deal, right? You could do it in two years if you wanted to um, in a smaller degree, but I was thinking I'd go for four years I was just coming back to Wisconsin and drove back here with my then fiance just to get married. And I, my wife actually had seen um, an ad for another game company in Wisconsin. Uh, and then also I was looking, I was like, "Wow, there's game companies in Wisconsin. That's crazy. I thought I was going to have to like live in Texas or California or something. So went in to get a tour of Raven. I, you know, emailed uh, somebody here and gotten um, someone at Raven and gotten a, a tour scheduled. So my wife, you know, was with me. It was like, I'm like, I'll be like 20 minutes. I'm just going to get a tour. Well, I was in there for almost three hours and actually ended up sitting with Pat, who had, you had, you know, Pat Lippo, who you previously interviewed. And you know, he, was, he was the programming lead. And I was, he just started asking me all these questions. And I was like, is this an interview? I thought it was supposed to be a tour. Well, three hours later, I walked out. My wife was like, what the heck happened? We were supposed to get lunch. And I was like, I think I just got interviewed, but um, <laughs> so I don't know. And we drove all the way back to Seattle, right? Because I was going to start my, I think that would have been the third year of school. And um, I was actually working for Nintendo QA during the summer. And suddenly I get this call at the Nintendo QA building because that was the only phone number I really had. And it was Mike Crowns, the guy that gave me the tour. And he's like, hey, we want to offer you a job. And I was like, what? It was just, it was just surreal. And so it's insane. Yeah. I mean, I was just staying there in the Nintendo buildings where you're just, you know, QA in some game. And I was like, we had just like drove all the way back from get, getting married in Wisconsin. And also I was like, Oh my God. And I was like, well, yeah, of course I didn't even think about it. So yeah, there you go. That's how I got into video games. Pretty, pretty crazy. And did you play a lot of video games growing up? Yeah. I mean, looking back on it, I, it, for sure. Um, you know, my, my family had an Atari, so it was a lot of space invaders and Pac-Man, but then, uh, my parents bought an Apple IIGS and that's where I really fell in love with just like 
computers and I wouldn't call it programming, but you know, there are ways you could like draw pixels on the screen. And as soon as someone showed me how to draw a pixel, me and my brothers were drawing, you know, enough pixels to make pictures or like we got, we got so excited because we made something that said FBI warning. And like, we could figure out a way to put it on our games disc and, you know, and make someone type in a password for it. And so like, that's about the extent of programming we did, but uh, yeah, looking back, like I still have sheets of notebooks of story ideas that I had written down that I totally forgot I'd even done. It was in my parents' house. Um, so yeah, yeah, I guess I did play a lot of video games. <laughs> was there a particular video game growing up that you absolutely loved and that sparked that passion? Yeah, there was a game, um, favorite game of all time. It's called Wasteland and it's a role-playing game mm-hmm. and you could have four characters. Um, you know, in it, <laughs> we love that you, formula here. Yeah, <laughs> You know, you could name them and you could, you know, and it was really simple. It was a super simple game, but it was like this experience where like you could go anywhere. It was like almost the first open world. Um, so yeah, I think Wasteland was great. And uh, so, so tons of different games like that, that just, were fun. They were open, open world. And um, yeah, just a lot of different, a lot of different games back then that were just trying to inventive things back on the, the old Apple two days. So you're at Raven now. Have you been at Raven all this time since that tour? Yeah. Way back 2000, you know, took that tour oh. and Nelson got hired and whatever it was four or five weeks later, moved back to Wisconsin. Haven't, um, haven't moved since. How has Raven evolved over the last two decades, in your opinion? It's pretty crazy. When I got hired, I think I might have been number 45 or something like that, or maybe number 50 there. And now we're up, you know, past 260 or something like that. And <sighs> That's insane. Yeah, for sure. We had a really, we've always been in RPGs. And, you know, Dungeons and Dragons is kind of where, where it all got started. In fact, the name Raven comes from the brothers who started the studio, Brian and Steve Raffle. They played a ton of Dungeons and Dragons and they had a character named Lord Raven and they loved him, right? They had made up this <laughs> character called Lord Raven. So that's when they started the studio, that's what they decided to name the studio was Raven after that character. Um, so those are kind of the deep RPG roots we've got. And uh, I didn't know that like, story. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. It's those guys are just, yeah, the culture that they brought to the studio was just like focus on the fun, focus on like what you would want to do as a player. Like, why is this? Why is this cool to you? Because if if you enjoy it, you know there's other people out there that are going to enjoy it and they're going to feel that passion. Um, mm-hmm. So that's really how they built the studio, bringing people in that were passionate about things, and that culture has stayed. You know, ever since I've gotten here, even though you know we went from. The first thing I never did was Star Trek Elite Force. I would just, they had just shipped that game and I had just come in and maybe there was going to be an expansion. So I started to work on that. Then next up, like you mentioned, were the, the Star Wars games, which were huge. And then suddenly it was X-Men and, you know, the Marvel games. And um, when we went to Call of Duty, we just brought that same passion. We said, listen, we've always kind of done, done a lot of stuff with the first person shooters and let's do that same thing. So luckily that kind of family atmosphere is mm-hmm. definitely still around. So, so that's welcoming for sure. Did you, you, that that first day you walked in at Raven, did you ever think you were going to work on these A-list properties like Star Wars and Marvel, but then also Call of Duty, which, I mean, that's something that just came from the ground up. You know, that was made into a household name. That wasn't something that existed before. Did you even fathom that? Not at all. I mean, you have to understand, it's like you're you're just a fan of video games and you sit there and you play them and you think to yourself, Oh boy, well, how come this game doesn't do that? or doesn't do this. And so you just want to like 
man, I just wanted to be a part of the process of anything and just help in any way. And so to get there and like Star Trek, I'm a huge geeky Star Trek fan. Um, always love the classic show. So to get there and start to work already on Star Trek, like day one, I was just mm-hmm. like, what is going on? This is insane. I just kept thinking, don't fire me. Don't fire me. Like, <laughs> um, and everything I did, I just was like, they're going to find out that I'm not as good as they think I am. <laughs> um, so no, I never, like I said, you, it's, even back then, like when you're playing and you, if you try to wrap your head around the fact you're going to play something in like a thousand people, are going to, you know, either read words you wrote or, you know, experience this mission you made. And then you start thinking, well, a hundred thousand. And then it's like, well, man, could half a million people actually play this? Like, it just kind of blows your mind to think about. Um, and now video games have just blown up um, back when it was like, if you got to a million, that was a huge deal. And now it's kind of like, you know, well, it's either 10 million or bust in some ways, you know, for some properties. So my brother-in-law works at petroleum advertising which they focus on video games yep yep, totally okay so he works there he was telling me that video games have exploded since the pandemic i mean obviously i get it i mean i've been playing so many video games during the pandemic and i'm curious how has the industry changed with the pandemic uh it was rough so yeah at first everyone just assumed every game we were working on was going to get delayed and then we got home and like, I'm sitting in this, this, the office of my house right now. It's my son's bedroom actually. Um, and after a few weeks of working, you're like, wait, wait a minute. This is actually gonna, this is okay. This can actually work. We can get work done. I can, you know, play the game and test the game. And I've got my PlayStation four test kit and dev kit for the PlayStation five sitting here. Um, so the good news is, is it's people have gotten more flexible. And I think even when we get back to work, you know, once this pandemic starts to die down, everyone starts to get vaccinated and we start to get back to work. Uh, good news is, is I think everyone's going to learn to be more flexible. We're going to allow actually a lot more, if you can work from home at certain days you need to go for it. We've kind of learned that's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, and there's just been a lot more communication and the team, what I've found personally is you just depend a lot more on the team members. Like I'm sitting here today talking to you and, and that's great. And I, I'm doing it because, you know, I'm labeled creative director, but the truth is the team is the one that puts the game together. And if it's not for like everybody and each one of those guys putting in their passion, um, it just doesn't play or as well, or doesn't, you know, isn't as cool of an experience. So working from home, those guys had a lot less like direction from either someone like me or other leads. And I actually think it was a great thing. Like we just, they said, boy, it's on my shoulders. I don't have someone around to pull next to me. I'm just going to make the decision. And I think everybody grew a lot um, that way and it, and it helped a lot. That's such an interesting perspective. And that's spoken like a really great captain of a ship, you know, <laughs> and, I, and I know there's so many moving parts in making video games and so many different sections, but the way you just spoke about people having that autonomy and taking those own creative leaps that they wouldn't otherwise have done if they were in an office and they're not just like, Hey, Dan, can you just like approve this for me? Like, no, Dan's not here. (laughs) You know, you have to make that. I, so hearing you speak just now. And also when I was talking to Patrick, I just assumed video games are making a lot of money. The industry is thriving. Everything's great. But he also, and this is sort of what you echoed kind of it's, they didn't know when when the pandemic hit what was going to happen with the production schedules. People were just buying, buying, buying. But you guys in the background, you have to have those creative relationships. You have to be able to test the games and go into a space and talk about that. Yeah, and it was, I think that was probably the hardest part is um, 
that last 10% when you just want to like, Hey, we're going to grab this dude and hold him over a ledge. And we kind of want him to, we're going to, you know, we want to have to fall off this way. And like normally in, when you're in the studio, people get up and they act it out and they go, well, no, I want to literally have the fist land here and have his head, you know, all this different stuff. It was hard to do. Even now it's like over zoom. It's hard to do that last little 10% or, um, I could sometimes see somebody in, in the room and like in the office, I can see him being quiet. I could see him thinking and it was easier for me to go, Hey, you know, whoever it is, you haven't spoken up, but you, you got any thoughts on this. And it's a little harder to do just, you know, virtually like this. I don't know why that is it's just sometimes harder to get the read on people. Um, no, I, so- I, I do a lot of virtual events and it's really hard to like, connect with people like i think it's different when you're doing like a one-on-one like how we're doing now like i feel very connected with you but when you're in like a zoom and you have all the tiles there it's (laughs) it's hard yeah for sure and so that's been the 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 kind of tight-knit relationship has been tough now luckily this team um what we call the affectionately the marvel team um has there's a ton of people that are right now are on this call of duty team that are Mm. that were the marvel team I mean, there are people that were making those boss fights in X-Men Legends 2, and, you know, they're still there. You know, we're having discussions every single day and guys that were making powers and character art. And so luckily it's a super tight-knit 15-year veteran group that's been around. And then when we do get new people in, man, the passion they bring and, like, this new ideas. And it's just – it's been awesome to just kind of see. That's the best thing about growing is when you get somebody new in and they start speaking up within the first few weeks and it was just like – yeah, it's awesome. Like, you know, one of the things, um, you know, so in the, in that last cold war game, the big deal for us was we let the player create their own character. And cause I'm just always the one that likes to like, Hey, let the player be the person they can be, you know, you know, unless obviously you're playing a, a licensed character. And we had somebody new that spoke up. Um, and she was one of our UI people. And I said, Hey, we're going to have this, you know, uh, character creator and we're going to have male and female, um, characters. And she spoke up and she said, is there any reason we can't do any kind of gender neutral option? At first I was like, well, wait a minute. What would that, you know, I don't even know how that would work. What would that be me? And so, but I was like, well, no, let's think about it. And thanks for bringing it up. And because she brought that up, we were able to add a non-binary, you know, when you create your character, it's like male, female, non-binary. And that was from someone that sparked from someone that would, man, she was only here a couple months. And like, yeah. that's the interaction where you're just like, that's huge to get people. Like I that love that. Up. I love that you guys did that. Yeah. Well, it, it's fun. And it was just, like I said, video games are changing, you know, and it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's fun to see, again, get that just reflection of in all of society and, and all the different culture that we get in from, uh, from the group. So, um, but we've learned to adapt for sure. So, so work from home has gotten better. And I think, you know, we'll be back in the office soon enough. So I want to know who's on the Marvel team, the veteran Marvel team. <sighs> yeah, for sure. I mean, there are guys, so Dan Edwards was a programmer and he was a guy that like when you, um, all the fight moves and everything else you did, like he had created this system called the fight style system that, so like this allowed us to just kind of flow through all these different powers and all the different fight moves of the enemies, all of them use this system. Uh, Ryan Dance and Simon Parkinson, if you enjoy the boss battles, those are the two that you can thank. Those two were so inventive um, (sighs) with, with what they did. You've got Ryan Butts was a character artist, character artist for us. He did a ton of the different costumes um, for characters uh, Justin Negretti, designer, Mike Majernik, designer. These guys, they always wanted to push the bounds of what was possible with the levels. Um, and then some of the animators that are still around are John Sinclair, Eric Schlotman, like 
those guys would go to town. I don't even know. When I look back, I'm not quite sure how they got all the animations done for some of those mission briefings for all the powers. Um, if you love the effects, by the way, and the menus, a big <sighs> hand in that was Jeremy Blumel. Um, this dude, the effects for me are a lot of times what made those powers in X-Men Legends yeah. and, and Marvel Ultimate Alliance. Like what seemed like, hey, it's, it's a beam attack. One of them Cyclops beams, um, you know, the other might be like an Emma Frost thing or somebody else. And that was all Jeremy trying to make those effects look different. And certainly plenty of others I'm sure I haven't named. I know I haven't named um, have helped out. But those are the uh, ones that come to the top of my mind. The Gene Phoenix Force effect pink that was at the end of the trailer in X-Men Legends 1 when that first dropped back in, you know, the early 2000s, I literally lost my shit because <laughs> it was beautiful. Like you, you just see her doing it. It was a close up of her. The powers in the games, you guys nailed it. But I, before we get into the game, so I want to ask about your relationship with X-Men and who is your favorite X-Men character? Um, so I'm going to leave Wolverine off the list only because he's, you know, he is like my, he is my favorite Marvel character, but I don't, wouldn't consider him just like pure X-Man. So I'm going to just look at the group that way. Um, okay. You know, kind of what I, would I like for. that distinction. He, yeah. It's just tough. Wolverine's kind of in a class of his own. Um, don't hate me for it. Cyclops is my number one. <laughs> no, I love Cyclops. I love Cyclops. Cyclops is the, the official stance of this podcast is that Cyclops was right. <laughs> oh, okay, excellent. That's what I like to hear. Because I got all kinds of... He was, everyone's like, oh, he's always the most boring. But a close two, I got to say, is Storm. I've just... Oh, I don't know if it's yeah. both, because I think of them both as, like, leader personalities or someone like that. They just seem like... Cyclops and Storm, it's like, when kind of, you know, the shit hits the fan, they're the two that, like, they'll have the plan. They'll be, you know, calm, and they'll go, this is what we need to do next. And so... Um, yeah, those are easily, you know, Cyclops number one and then Storm number two. Yeah, well, Storm and Cyclops are the leaders of the X-Men in my head canon. We've had other characters step up and lead. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's cute, you know, but it, oh, it the only leaders I really accept are Cyclops and Storm. And Cyclops, I was just talking about this on an Instagram live the other day. I In the comic books, the pretender, aka Wanda Maximoff, decimates the mutants, right? She removes the mutant X gene. And the only one who stepped up to try to save the mutants was Cyclops. And go. he got shit done. And it couldn't have been Xavier. It couldn't have been Magneto. It had to be Cyclops. And Storm, every time I see Storm on a team, she's in Marauders now. I, I'm i just like, she is born to lead. Like, she just, like, her presence on, on the panel, I was going to say in the room as if she's here with me, her presence on the panel, it's just you gravitate towards her. So I'm right there with you, man. That's... Yeah. Did you watch the animated series growing up? Oh, huge fan. And actually, I, I listened to um, is Julia and Eric Lee, uh, mm -hmm. Leland, I think it was. Lee Wald, yeah. Lee Wald, there you go. That podcast was awesome to listen to. I had no idea oh. that those that they were married, that they were part of it. Um, oh, huge fan. Huge, huge fan of uh, the animated series. I mean, that's really where I got most of my X-Men um, knowledge from, like comic book-wise. I tended to be a bit more into the Batman Superman stuff um, and only kind of dabble in some of the X-Men stuff. But that animated series, I know you're not a big fan of Beast, but let me tell you, <laughs> at least he was done right in that series. I just, I loved everything they did. And um, 
yeah, that that was that was awesome. So I I love the anime series. There's a big influence for sure. Yeah, the official stance of this podcast is fuck beast. But <laughs> but hey, thank you so much for listening to the past episodes and 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 doing some research before coming on. That really that really just made my morning. I mean, you've been so great so far, but thank you for that. Um, it's yeah, and no no worries at all. It's like I just I didn't realize people had podcasts just about the X-Men. And then <laughs> it's funny, it's like one episode you guys were talking about like, oh man, the 90s and Blockbuster, and then like uh I miss when you guys talked about the decrepit Toys R Us buildings, it hit the home because I had just been driving past the Toys R Us. I was listening to it in the car. And it is so sad when I see those old Toys R Us buildings. And I was like, oh man, so much childhood um in those buildings, and now it's gone. I, I agree. And kids today have it so easy because you can go on eBay, Amazon, wherever, and like buy the figures you want. Even if you have a natural curiosity for the X-Men, you just type in magma storm wiki. And that's it. You get all of their information. And I was talking about this with one of the X writers, Zeb Wells about why was fandom so great in like the nineties is because you had to go out and be a little archeologist and mine that sort of information and like for the longest time the only thing i knew about magma for example was what i had on a fleer ultra 94 card that's it for four years dan i didn't know more or less about magma and that made the when i got to know her more far more you know valuable to me and yeah it's just uh, toys r us seeing that like i went hunting for action figures there yeah, and it's like you'd pick up the box, like you know, your like our mom would drop us off, yeah. me and my brothers, and we'd just be like an hour just walking around, and we'd go back to the same miles over, and you're like you'd read the back of the boxes and try to get whatever information you could. You didn't have like Google or anything like that to learn it. So, um, <laughs> yeah, that was just it was a different time, and in fact, there wasn't even no... dial up back then. No, <laughs> there was not no. even dial up. No, not at all. Totally, it's like or the like internet yeah, did not exist it's like, you know, Toys R Us back then used to sell comics too. So you could kind of cheaply read the comics by <laughs> grabbing one of them off the rack. And we used <laughs> to do that too. But um, I had an Omega Red action figure that was kind of bigger. I think he was like 10 or 12 inches. And I just, at the yeah. time, I didn't know who he was, but I was like, this action figure is awesome. And so, you know, um, saved up a bunch of money and I bought them and I was so happy when we got to Legends 2. And I was like, one of the first names I personally wrote down was like, we're having Omega Reds. So, <laughs> <laughs> he's going to be in the game. All right. Well, you know, I'm going to ask like a ton of X-Men Legends 2 questions. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. So I think my first question, let's, let's keep it a little general here. Were you on X-Men Legends 1? Yep, absolutely. And uh, when I first got, you know, so the way that game, and I'm not sure how much Pat talked about this, um, it was originally on a totally different engine. Raven was trying to make their own engine. It was like, can we spin up this kind of console engine of our own? Then eventually we moved to that Alchemy engine. Um, and when we moved, I had just moved over. So I'd finished up um, Jedi Knight to uh, Jedi Outcast. And so, hey, moved over to the X-Men team. And it was pretty new. I was just trying to get words printed on the screen. Like I was in charge of getting the menus working. Um, that was, was a great menu, letters. by the way. I love oh. that menu with Cerebro. <laughs> yes, totally, totally. Well, trust me, it was just a blue screen when we started. Now, again, I was like, oh, my God, I'm getting fired. I don't even know how to do this. So that happened. And where, where really, though, I gained ground is once they kind of got me in the gameplay programming role. And um, 
I had only known the quake engine, you know, from, from what I did on the Jedi games. And so when I brought it over, we really didn't have much in the way of like characters moving around or, or much at all. And I was like, Hey, I'm going to kind of style it after some of the things I learned from quake. And that's where, uh, I started just making characters padded jumped in. He was making Iceman slides. So yeah, I was gameplay programmer in X-Men legends. Um, I think one of the best days ever is I was working on Iceman and previously the power was just like you freeze somebody and like little blocks of ice appeared around their feet and they kept animating. But I was like, well, you know, can we spawn in? Like if, you, if someone just builds me a model of this, an ice shell and can I just make it, a, I'll, I'll spawn on a fake character. That's like a, an ice shell character. And can I just pause that animation? And we had, the tech guys would give me a way to pause animations. And suddenly as I was doing it and I was like, but wait a minute, it's way cooler. If you zero all gravity, it's like, if you get them stuck in the air. And I remember at the time, the lead programmer was like, that makes no sense. Ice doesn't make you freeze in air. And I'm like, I know, but it's just cool <laughs> to have it happen. Um, so yeah, I was a game programmer on X-Men Legends. And uh, it's funny because I ended up bouncing between that and then Jedi Academy, which was a sequel to Outcast. And so I was bouncing back and forth. And um, yeah, I was a big part of that gameplay programming team. But a lot of the guys there just did so much work on like the powers and stuff. And so I was able to come in and... Um, yeah, work on enemies, work on heroes, all that kind of stuff. So how did you make the leap to game director? And I know it's project lead, and I think Patrick clarified that it's all the, it's same. All the same, and it means something different for every company. But how did you end up being director of X-Men Legends 2? Um, unexpectedly. I know, you know, Pat had, you know, informed us, hey, he was going to, you know, move on and go somewhere besides Raven. And, mm. uh, I think that was sometime and, you know, so the game released in like, let's say September, I think, or something like that. He had told us that sometime around July. And so, you know, he wanted to make sure we had plenty of time to plan for it. And Rob G, who is the co-project lead, um, said he just, he didn't feel like he wanted to take that on again. He maybe wanted to try, you know, a more, a different role there, even though, so Rob G is a walking encyclopedia for Marvel oh, stuff. So I know I've heard, um, I've tried to track him down. I can't find him. Yeah, he's still at Raven. We'll we'll figure. We'll get you. Oh, that guy is, okay, okay. Rob G, we're coming for you. <laughs> um, he was just like he was. He was Google for me for Mark. He was the Marvel Google. So, um, yeah, because again, Brian, Google didn't exist or Wikipedia <laughs> didn't exist. You no. needed to have someone who knew this information. And by the way, the 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 lore that you guys put in the games, it was tight. Like you guys that. were really right. I mean, you take, you took your own leaps, of course, and you created yeah. your own universe. But I think the reason why the games and even ultimate alliance, especially ultimate alliance one, you took so much continuity, put your own spin in it, but also respected it. Does that make sense? Yeah, hundred percent. And we would have, so there were the couple of guys that were key to that. Rob G, you know, the co-project lead on X-Men Legends one, Bob Love, who, um, he was our writer. And so if you heard VO, if you got writing, if you got notes, he did everything. Bob Love, huge Marvel guy, amazing writer. Um, he, I can't, I don't even know how he got it done. So he was like my right hand man when it came to anything story, anything like dialogue, he was just wanting to write more and more and more and get every character right. And then Brian Pelletier was another, he was one of our art directors and he was a huge Marvel geek as well. And so those three guys really grounded me. Um, so, so, so Rob, so, so how it came to be that I went from gameplay programmer to um, the creative director, the project lead is 
Rob had recommended it. And, you know, my Brian Raffle called me in and said, Hey, who do you think should be, you know, Pat stepping down? Who do you think should be project lead? And I said, well, Rob and a couple other names. And he said, well, what about you? <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> why would I was not expecting it at all. Um, but you know, Rob luckily put a good word in for me and, um, yes, if I got my opportunity, I was like, let's do this, man. Let's, yes. let's you know, add to it, take what we started to build with X-Men one. And that's where it really helped that I had been so, um, intimate with like how we did the powers and how we did all the programming for it. It was easier for me to suggest changes knowing what was either easier or harder to do for X-Men Legends 2. How soon after X-Men Legends 1 was released did 2 go into production? Before. Um, oh, wow. It was from a story standpoint and planning standpoint, like uh, I think I found out in July that I was going to be the project lead. And uh, it was like, cool, we're doing this. We loved it. I mean, that team, I, mean, I guess I can't, the team was so passionate. Like they were a little comic book artist, Jeff Butler, Les Dorscheid, Jeff Moy. These are guys that were like comic book artists that were on the team. And so everyone was like, whoa, almost like before they could even say yes, let's just start working on it and, and let's get as far as we can. Um, so that way they have no choice but to say yes. So, I mean, Bob and I, I think we were in my kitchen in August um, while we were, you know, we were fixing bugs in August to get the game on X-Men Legends 1 and, you know, finishing up any last dialogue bits Bob was and I was fixing bugs. And then um, we'd spend a weekend here or there in the kitchen at my house working through what the story for uh, X-Men Legends 2 would be. And of course, you know, we'd run it always like Rob was always there to help us or he had tons of ideas on what they had kind of thought about doing post X-Men 1. Um, so yeah, before X-Men even shipped, we at least started working on the story and the, and the structure of the game. Okay. Okay. And so I, I'm just curious did you guys know X-Men Legends 1 was going to be a hit and that's why you wanted to be proactive with doing a sequel? How does that typically work? Do you, I'm only comparing it to movies in my head right now where it's like, oh, that movie did really well opening weekend. So we'll get a sequel. So I'm a little thrown off that you, you were already working on two before one came out. Uh, Just a bunch of young, naive dudes. (laughs) Um, We had, we had no idea you have, you know, when you put something creative out there, you have these huge fears at times. Mm-hmm. And then you also have, um, I think it's maybe part of my personality where either I'm totally up and I think this is the greatest idea ever, or I think, Oh my God, everyone's going to hate it. So catch, catch me at the right time. And it was like, dude, the game's going to be great. Let's just, let's make a sequel. We can do this. And so it yeah, was before... great. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really weird to think about like, it was just ideas back in July. And so now you're 15 years later, you're holding up the box. It's, it's pretty cool. So um, we just, like I said, I th- we started working on it. And by the time Activision said, yeah, okay, the game's selling well enough. We are already, you know, month, two months into, into working on it because it was a short schedule. It was yeah, it came honestly back out so I mean, fast. It, it was crazy. Like X-Men one took three kind of plus years. And, and I say that, the way that game was a true game development of like, Hey, it's a brand new engine. We have to work through everything. We didn't have a, you know, what we call the fight style system. You know, we didn't have the fight style system to let everyone move around. We didn't, like I said, we didn't have menus. I was putting the menus together. So that's, you know, three years. That's why I took it. So when it came to X-Men Legends 2, Brian, my boss and Activision was like, well, the only way we're going to prove this, because again, sales were good for X-Men 1 is like, 
it's got to be a short enough budget. Can you get it done in 12 months? Which really and ultimately was 11 when you think about it. And yeah. I, I don't even know why we said yes. And I was just kind of <laughs> like, we had no idea. Like the whole team was like, let's do it. Well, you, you know, let's just do it. We'll figure it out. And so we just started, like I said, I've got some of the original docs in front of me. It's like, we just started mapping out. These are the cool things we want to experience. This was the high level story. We had, and that was all done in a couple weeks. And we just started cranking. Um, you know, having all the tools, making that sequel. Like I know Pat was kind of jealous. I heard him talking about that in the earlier podcast. He said he was kind of jealous and it's understandably like everything was sitting there for us. We just had to make new content. So it was a lot of fun. What were some of those early ideas that you guys were tossing around in your kitchen? (laughs) The initial was like, okay, we all love Magneto. I've got a, I I love Magneto. I think he's one of the best bad guys. Um, in fact, I think, he might be the first X-Men I ever remember. It was like, we used to buy comics for like a nickel at like some flea market. And there was this comic and I think the cover was ripped off or something. It was Magneto was kind of on the page and the way he was talking in the frame, talking about, you know, rights for mutants or whatever it was. I was like, Oh, Hey, this is a cool looking good guy. What's this all about? I thought he was a good guy the way he had been talking anyway. So um, I'd always loved Magneto and we, we just felt like we already played that card. What else can we do? And we had discussed a couple different things. We discussed Magma. I know people were a little upset that she was back. We discussed Magma, but my big push was, hey, listen, this time around, I want to make sure everyone has their favorites. Um, mm-hmm. And so I make sure everybody has a chance to play the person they want to play. Back on X-Men 1, it was great. And I've got zero complaints about the game. I wouldn't change anything about it. But at the same time, we structured it where it's like, no, you're forced to play this person here. You're forced to play that person there. There were times when co-op didn't quite work there was a bit of a more single player focus and this time around i said here's the deal from the second someone pops the game in they have to be able to play four characters um and we have to let them play any character they want if they want to start on you know second one of of cyclops and play all the way to the last hour on cyclops they have to be able to everyone has their own favorite character so that was kind of the start and the age of apocalypse story um just iconic yeah and rob had introduced that to me back when we were just working on X-Men, like Rob was great. He, like you said, no other Google or computers were really like internet, really. Um, he would bring in stacks of comics, stacks of comics. And I'm a sucker for alternate universe kind of stories because I just love, I don't know why. I think they're just so cool. I think I like taking whatever formula that we're used to and kind of flipping on its head. And it just, there's something, there's always been something neat about that to me. So I gravitated towards Age of Apocalypse really quickly. And so even though we had talked about, would it be Magneto again or whatever else? We had said, hey, I think Apocalypse has something cool. So that ending for X-Men Legends 2, or X-Men Legends 1 rather, with Apocalypse, they had let me know, hey, we're putting Apocalypse at the end here. And, you know, we could think about doing, you know, Age of Apocalypse um, for the X-Men Legends 2. And I was like, yes, let's do it. So really... That was what that meeting was about, where like we would sit in the sit there between me and Bob and go, well, what's the coolest parts? You know, and we talked about like the 12 and and all these different stories that would come together. And it just felt like Apocalypse was the way to go. Um, And we just loved, you know, the four horsemen. And, you know, we had already planned on Archangel in the first one and that got cut. And I always liked actually the way Archangel looked a little cooler than Angel. Um, (laughs) I was devastated that that Angel was cut because, again, in the interview with Patrick, it was leaked, you know, all the characters from the site were leaked and Angel was there. And then I 
you know, he was replaced last minute by Jubilee, which was a great character too. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Yeah. But if you're telling me I would have gotten Angel and then midway through the game, he would have turned into Archangel. Yes, that's exactly yeah. it. Yeah, so we, we've got the uh, Age of Apocalypse pretty quick and that was not, um, man, Activision was not on board at all with Age of really? Apocalypse. Why not? No. That's, that would seem like a no-brainer because it was probably... And it still is the biggest X crossover and everyone knows it. We tried to explain that, but you have to come like from an Activision standpoint, the movies were out. Um, yeah. The movies were doing really, really well. I mean, I think X-Men 1 and 2 don't get, I think they get the short, they get short change for how influential they were. I thought those were, I like, agree. that's I agree what made comic book movies cool. They again. set I mean, the bar. I mean, because oh. before that we had uh, Batman and Robin, which I love for its own campiness don't get me wrong but that the the x-men movies brian singer who is a total d-bag but like he i know but like they set the bar there yeah you know yeah yeah and 100 percent. and so um that was that was the way activision looked at things like that was more mainstream and i was like saying hey no wolverine's gonna walk around with one of his arms cut off and he'll look like this and um they're like, no, Wolverine needs both claws. Right, totally. And it they weren't they weren't on board with it. And we had um we had really also discussed the days of future past, which was you know one of the most iconic ways. It was like, yeah. how can we do something like that again, some kind of alternate universe? I just fell in love with that stuff. But the the apocalypse for what it brought for game structure wise and what we could do there is where we had to go. So um it was a rough going with Activision. They were again not on board with that. And that's why ultimately, you know, it was going to be, was it dawn of apocalypse? Was it rise of apocalypse? Was it can't be, it cannot be this weird alternate age of apocalypse, but yet we could take the story inspiration from it without it truly being a totally different world. Um, Did you want it to be, uh, because the final product is a mashup of the 12 age of apocalypse and, Things and listeners who probably don't know, Beast, for example, you don't get an alternate universe beast. You get our beast who dies, quote unquote, and then comes back as Dark Beast, which, by the way, was the best thing you ever did, <laughs> was kill Beast. And like when Destiny said the X Men uh, Beast will die, I was like, yes, absolutely <laughs> kill that motherfucker. That's awesome. That's hilarious. I, I love your man. You know, your argument for why Beast is so bad. I, I listened to it and I was like, okay, you've got a point. Again, for me, <laughs> I was like, animated series and Kelsey Grammer, come on. Beast oh, those are right. peak. That's peak Beast. If those, like, I believe those versions of Beast actually went and got a PhD. But sure. comic book Beast, I'm like, you're a fucking sociopath. You're a liar. Like, thank you, Nets. Yeah. And yeah, thank yeah, you for he, not making him playable. I hope that was an active decision. Well, yeah, it was. We didn't, you know, he wasn't exactly the most fun in X-Men Legends. Um, so, He's not yeah, the most no. fun in the comic books either. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, even though we couldn't have, my preference would have just been straight up to Age of Apocalypse, like the actual um, world, except we never want to do, it, we would have done more world changing stuff, like an actually alternate universe stuff, but mm-hmm. we still, even then Marvel, what we, we had this really cool agreement with Marvel. What we told them is they were like, hey, is this going to be like a direct sequel to X-Men Legends? And I said, it's going to be influenced. But what I like is like when I read comics, when I have fun is when each book kind of takes their own angle on things. I said, every single one of your books or series isn't totally in lockstep all the time. And I said, 
that's what I like these video games to be is that we're not necessarily going to just recreate age of apocalypse hundred percent. We just want to use it as a basis. Um, and then kind of tell our own version of it because that's to me, what's cool about comic books is when there's just kind of slight alterations or when a movie comes out and you, and as a fan, you're like, Oh, are they hinting at, you know, Phoenix or are they doing that? It's just, yeah. it's fun as a fan to be like, not just go, Oh, well, I know exactly what's going to happen next. It's fun to find those hints. And Marvel was awesome. They were like hundred percent on board with that idea. So, so don't worry about it. Go ahead and mix, mix and mash all together um, how you want to. So what would have that in, in your head, what would that story have looked like? Would we have gotten like, just we, would we have picked up in the age of apocalypse or would you have had like a Legion character go back in time and, and we would have seen how that universe changed. Yeah. And so that was where actually we got stuck. We were like, okay, how are we going to like, someone's going to pick this game up and just be thrown like the casual people are not going to have yeah. any idea what they're doing. So we are going along the lines of, can we create it? But then we were worried we were going to spend such a long time with the setup Mm-hmm. and not just getting to the universe. And so um, we weren't sure. We kept getting hung up with that, with like, how do we get, how do we introduce the players to this? And ultimately, the more we talked about it, that's what it was like. A big push for us was to get the Brotherhood to work together, Brotherhood and X-Men. We just liked, um, Bob was salivating at it. He was like, oh man, I want to do these mission briefings where they're talking back and forth. I love them giving you know shit to each other. And so we really loved that idea. And it was like, well, let's start with that as the Colonel. Like, listen, the X-Men and the Brotherhood are forced to work together. Why? Because the <laughs> ultimate evil apocalypse is there. And then let's from there, that can be our conduit. Like everyone knows who the X-Men are. Everyone knows who the Brotherhood are. Let's start there with like normalcy for these people and then kind of descend into the chaos of, of the age of apocalypse stuff. And we, we weren't sure where we would, like how we would do an official like leap in time or, or you know, to a different kind of universe. But by that point, it had pretty much been told, no, you you can't do that anyway. So we, we just abandoned the idea. Well, I agree, by the way, like how would you have done that for the casual gamer? Yeah. And then what would it look like? So I'm glad Rise of Apocalypse ended the way it did because I, again, you respected the continuity and the lore and you had the Age of Apocalypse skins in there. Yeah. as well and you were also able to use a lot of other great characters in there i mean i know destiny was in you know excalibur in the age of apocalypse but you put her in a really real great way and so my question is how did you go about selecting the characters for this game so like production's taken off yeah. you know you want to do the brotherhood there's so many characters there how did you go about selecting those? You know, I'll tell you right now, I know it was hard. Like, <laughs> trust me, we would have put in more characters. I got to say this to everyone else that, that hates me for removing Psylocke. Um, <laughs> yeah, we would have put it. I asked, I was like, so one of the, when I, when I put it up on the Instagram, I was like, what questions do you guys want me to ask Dan? And literally I got seven questions about Psylocke. The, Psylocke has a huge Stan community, which I was, a, I love Psylocke. I love Psylocke, but I did not realize the community that exists for Psylocke. So I'm sorry if you got it. Yeah. Well, I didn't realize that either. I, 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 definitely, I definitely know now. Um, did someone attack your MySpace? <laughs> no. Yeah. Right. MySpace. And totally. Um, no, I got all kinds of, Oh man, there's a lot of funny jokes about that. So, uh, 
how to select the characters. It was tough. So we clearly was broken down by like, Hey, what kind of power sets do we already have that we've already experienced? How can we do something new? Um, and how do we get enough brotherhood people in there? So that I will, I will tell you this. I think we could have selected any character um, and Marvel would have said yes. The relationship back then with Marvel, they were just not who they are today, which again, I don't work with them now, but boy, they have everything lockstep. They know what they're doing and it's great. As a fan, I absolutely love it. Back then it was just way more of this wild west of just like, yeah, sure. You know, we worked with this, the Marvel guy over there was Ames Kirshen, who previously worked at Warner Brothers. And I think now he's back there. He was great. He was our main contact with Marvel and he somehow managed to get everything, nearly everything we wanted approved. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think there was a character we didn't want. Um, so then when it came to selecting the characters, again, we knew we wanted the Brotherhood. And it's so interesting. It's, uh, I heard you guys had that, you guys were talking about underrated X-Men characters or underrated characters versus overrated. And it's funny, back then, Scarlet Witch was underrated. Oh, um, it was House of M that put her on the map. 100%, 100%. And that didn't end up coming out, I think, till 2005. So like when we were... Yeah. I think developing or maybe it was 2006. I'm trying to remember. It was House of M wasn't there when we first started. It it wasn't. House of M was probably the summer before the game was released. If I'm remembering it correctly, because I was in New York the the summer of House of M. And then I went back to FSU and that's where I played X-Men Legends 2. Perfect. On my yeah, and so off-site that's... apartment, off-campus apartment. <laughs> it was like the coolest uh, guy because uh, I had X-Men Legends too. Those are the good days, right? Going to, yeah. going, going to college is playing games. Uh, <laughs> those are fun. Um, so Scarlet Witch was someone I loved her story. I just thought she was such a, she seemed like a good person, but yet she's caught as this daughter of mm-hmm. the evil Magneto. And I just always thought she was a cool character. So right away, we kind of were like, great, let's use her. Um and then we knew we wanted to at least have Quicksilver as like one of the people that gets grabbed by Apocalypse because then that helps give Magneto more of a motivation coming and join it. So honestly, it was we started with like, who are the best Brotherhood people to use? Um, and that was kind of like, you know, because we knew we were going to do that. And then uh, the X-Men, it was tough. It was really, I will tell you, a lot of battles. There was no right or wrong answer sometimes. It was just from a production standpoint. My thing was, I felt like all the characters were, just, were a touch shallow in X-Men when it came to their powers. And so a big push for me was, you know, as an RPG fan, I like taking something and building and building and like completing and getting tons of skill trees. I just think that's a lot of fun. So, and I think players, fans are like, well, if I'm a fan of Storm, that's who I want to play. And I want to just do more with that her and that character. So I was like, let's give them even more powers, even more skills. So that way if someone does truly grab Storm and play her from second number one to hour number 40 they feel like they can keep powering up and leveling up so deeper powers more powers and that meant it was tough for us to have have too huge of a cast and so we just had to whittle it down so um the team you know people would vote we'd have excel spreadsheets you know that people would kind of say like you know who would rank to the top and the bottom and and that's kind of how it ultimately landed okay okay so you know this question was going to come who got cut who who would have been playable but got cut. Um, yeah, I was thinking about that question and we had touched on Polaris for a while. I think we even might've made her skin and someone had been messing with it. Um, I literally did that. I have screenshots on my photo bucket because the oh, PC yes. version, I could get 
I was able to get the skins for her and she had her purple costume and you could play as Polaris. And then I apply and I forgot how I did this because I am not a programmer, yeah. but I took Magneto's powers and I was able to put it oh. on Polaris. And so she would, you know, fly around like that. That's awesome. But, like her animation and stuff. But so Polaris, yes, I, I figured Polaris was because she, her, her yeah. skins were in the game. They were available. And then um, Cable was another one that ultimately I believe went to the PSP um dude the the psp version is my favorite version because two of my favorite x-men are cannonball and nate gray oh perfect perfect. so i love i bought a psp specifically just so i could play that and then i tried to port it to my tv because i wanted like the big gameplay experience but (laughs) it was like this big (laughs) yeah I I, i love cable story i love everything about cable um and so that was when I thought we could get in right away. And it's just, it became a time sink. And so we only kind of started a few things. And so when the PSP came along, it was like, hey, it can go there. So honestly, those are the big ones where ultimately anyone that was ever even considered for the most part would make it into, you know, another one of the versions of the game. Um, so and we did a really good job of scheduling the content. And this one, we knew we only had those like 11 months or so. Um, so yeah. There were not. There was not a ton of cut content at all from X Men Legends Two. What about um, characters like Emma, Magma, and Psylocke? I know you. We, we kind of talked about it that you've gotten some hate for that, but I'm curious why they were selected to Emma, for example, who was very big in the books. Why she was selected more as a non-playable character, and then you put her, obviously, as part of. I, I know it wasn't the twelve, but the four. I believe it was. Why was she thrown there and not put on the team, for example? That, I believe, when we talked about it, because, you know, we knew Magma was going to potentially be an issue. We knew Emma um, would potentially be an issue. And we felt like, hey, from a power set standpoint, um, we liked what we had. And she wasn't, we weren't sure where to go with her next. I think the problem was, is we just were like, people weren't as excited about making Emma. I mean, I hate to say it, but but, but we, uh, from a story perspective, I loved like Rob had told me all about the stuff for cuckoos. And I was like, Oh, I love that. You, you see the Trinity. That was such an iconic line. By the way, I'm so sorry. I'm talking to you, but I'm on my photo bucket and I hacked Emma too. Oh, good for you. That's awesome. I'm trying to put it in the chat so you can see it. Oh, sweet. That's cool. But I, yeah, I think what you did with Emma and when they went to the shrine and the temple, I thought it was so great. Hang on. I'm trying to see if I can, I'm like, yeah, I use Zoom was, every single day. And I'm like, how do you do this? It, it's, I mean, it's, that's where it's like, we listen, we loved Emma, the character. And that, yeah. I, I had not, I had no idea what had happened with like, where with the whole Stepford thing. And then Rob brought me the comics and I was like, what? They like harvested her eggs. And like that, dude, that's. A <laughs> that was Phoenix twisted. war song. It's like, oh, that's a twisted deal. And so anyways. Um, Poor Emma. Uh, yeah. So we just want to get that, that well, I was like, that's a cool story. And we, one of the things we had always hoped when we did that kind of stuff is we hoped it sparked an interest mm-hmm. in somebody where it was like, you know, that happened to me for the X-Men animated series. You know, I'm sitting there watching it and I was like, what, who is this character? What's the deal with this? And you'd want to just learn more about it. So that was really one of our goals is to say, um, like for instance, when we put the Savage Land in there, <clears throat> I remember it was like, Hey, let's put the Savage Land in there. And then like, we were trying, we would try to make objectives that would help explain like parts of the comic, like the atmospheric generators would be like your objective. And so we just tried to like get as much lore and 
little pieces of info. So that way someone that's a fan of that can be like, Oh, I know what that is. I'm so cool. And if you're not a fan of it, maybe, you know, for a few of you, it it, kind of make you want to read up on that. Well, I, I love what you just said because I didn't think about it until just now, but yeah, X-Men legends Two did have that animated series feel to it, which is there were so many characters. They were done well. They were, they were respected. Their, their histories were respected. You didn't dumb it down for the, the gamer. And it incited that curiosity for, for others. And you also did that with the skins. You did the age of apocalypse skins as well. So thank you for that. I really, that's great. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, I appreciate that very much. And I, it, it just came from that. The team that had such a, everyone had their own personal story about why they wanted this skin in the game or why they wanted this costume. And, They'd come into you and they go, no, you don't understand. Someone's have gotten a battle and they'd had this big long story about it. Sometimes I admit to your, to your audience, I am not nearly the geek in the Marvel repertoire that some of these other guys are. And, and I just listen to these stories and I'm like, whoa, if there's even just like a dozen people out there that know that kind of story like you do, like, yeah, sure, let's get the skin in the game. That's, that's cool. But I think the, the Lee Wald said this in our interview with them where they were like, we're writers. We want to put that foundation and we'll build up with you. You do video games. You're, you were a programmer. You're, it is your industry. You just want to do a really good game and you're just building from the ground up. And then you learn the lore as you go along. And I think that was evident in X-Men legends one and two. So how, how excited were you though, to bring these characters to the forefront that never got the dues they deserve, like Blink, for example, yeah. and Polaris and, and Wanda again, because this is pre WandaVision, <laughs> you know? know, it's, it's crazy to think about it that, I mean, what's yeah. Once all of a sudden, like the Marvel movies started happening, I'm like, Oh man, that's supposed to be Scarlet witch. Is that what she, they're going for? Um, it was a ton of responsibility to tell you the truth. I mean, it was like, I, <laughs> our big goal was like, Hey, I remember like Bob would say, Hey, let's just have fun with this. There's going to be people out there that don't know who these characters are. Our job is just to say, Hey, what do, how do we interpret like their voices? Like how many of these characters had never had a voice before um, in any kind of media. And Bob was the one that was out there voice directing them and like getting all those voices in. So like blink, for example, I love the fact that we could use blink as an actual game feature with her teleportation and allowing people to go back and forth. Cause again, in X-Men legends one, it was just a very structured game, which it worked great for that game. It was just like, boom, 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 go here, here, here. I love like, Oh, not only can we bring blink into the game, but we can actually make her a main feature. Like this is how the player will teleport around. It's almost yeah. makes sense now. So that kind of stuff was exciting. And like Scarlet, Witch, like I said, I was a huge fan of hers. Um, and it is interesting the passionate debates you get in where it's like just some people would come into your office saying, I don't like the way we're treating this character, you know, whatever else it is. And it's, 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 it was just a balance of always trying to go, okay, we can change those. If you're that passionate about it, we'll change that dialogue. Like someone's like, they seem too dismissive of professor X. They would never talk to professor X like that. And I was like, well, Marvel was okay with it. You know, like they approved the script and someone would come in and say, and I forget who it was, if it was like toad that was being disrespectful. And I think the ultimate solve was, one of the other X-Men or it was Magneto. Magneto like shuts up Toad in one of the mission briefings or kind of talks down to him um, in a sense, like Magneto was showing his respect to Charles. So anyways, kind of a tangent, but that was, 
the, the fan base luckily was also working on the game and it wasn't just, you know, hearing about it afterwards. So w- was a character like Blink on the table to be playable since you had invested so much, would she have been incorporated in the story? I'm assuming because you have Nightcrawler, you having two teleporting characters, like, you know, we can, Blink can get more dues here, but I'm just curious because, again, Blink is another character who we all love. Yeah, so originally, yep, she was on the she she was on the playable list, hundred percent. Um, sorry, <laughs> so she was absolutely on the playable list, and then it it started to become like this, like, well, wait a minute. Again, you have to speak to the mass audience. Nightcrawler's yeah. huge, like he was like the star of X Men Two movie. You know, you've got to have Nightcrawler in there, and I was like, okay, yeah, that's not negotiable. Yeah, and it was like understood. I love him too. Um, and then it's exactly what you said. Sometimes the power sets, and that's kind of like the deal with Emma. It just felt like, well, wait, people feel like we already have that mix of powers in there. Let's let's yeah. just find different people. But then what, like I said, it was like, well, if, okay, if we can't use Blink as a character, how else can we use her? And it was NPC. And then that's when um, we were just kind of like, wait, she could be our literally our teleport mechanic for getting back and forth. So um, that's kind of how it goes. It's never easy. I promise you. Marvel would have let us keep putting more characters in. It was just a matter of time, unfortunately. So Marvel was really chill with anything you wanted did they say no maybe once on like someone you may have wanted because you you all had iron man in there too was there like a bigger marvel character you probably wanted and they were like no 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 like hang tight on that um so they weren't big fans of us using deadpool as a playable character of course Um, that makes sense and I said, well, we're going to have him as an NPC. We think we can get him as a playable character. And it's really crazy. So Activision did this study. And this wasn't because of Deadpool. But, um, you know, Activision's good about always market research, do the market research. So they had done this big study that basically asked a, b- a bunch of questions. But two of the questions were, do you know this character? Question number one, boom. Mm-hmm. And then the next question was, do you like this character? And so that whole idea was, like, they could get a re- they could make a rating scale to say, hey, how popular is this character in terms of just people knowing him? Or her and then how popular are they in terms of like if they know about him do they like him so deadpool on the do you know him was bottom of the list like nobody knew who deadpool was and that was kind of their way of saying see don't make him playable and there's no reason to do it but he was he blew away on the other scale of the percentage of people that liked him he was like in his 90s and the next closest person was like in the 60 percentage meaning of the people that knew who deadpool was they all loved it And so that finally could let them convince us, like either convince them rather to say, okay, you guys go ahead and do it. You guys can have this kind of playable Deadpool thing or whatever. Um, And Marvel was like, yeah, sure. Okay. If you guys really want to, but it has to be unlocked or whatever it is. Um, The other characters, I know they had issues with, so we had, um, we had considered trying to do a character artist uh, like Stanley, Jim Lee, Jack Kirby, Chris Claremont. Like we were like, Hey, could we, if we made these, um, that's so awesome. Yeah. If we made these guys as playable characters, could we unlock them in some kind of, I don't know how we do it. We were like, but what we, the way we see them working is they would almost like have their powers of being able to draw or just change stuff in the universe if they (laughs) wanted to, like, you know, that outline was there and we we're like, oh, what if we just took the skin away and just the inking was left for one of the powers and, you know, all the other stuff. Um, and they were totally against it. Marvel was not. Um, they, well, Ames let us know that's going to be a bigger uphill battle 
um, yeah. then you realize. And so it was just kind of like we stayed away from them. The Iron Man thing, you know, I think we had reached out to Marvel saying, hey, there's a couple of characters we're thinking about adding, right? And we talked about um, maybe would it be Captain America, maybe would it be Iron Man? And they had kind of ushered us towards the Iron Man thing. At the time, no, we had no idea that, that, that Robert Downey Jr. was going <laughs> to redefine cinema with his Tony Stark. Totally. It was just like, and they didn't give us any kind of hint to that whatsoever. But what's interesting is once Marvel Ultimate Alliance had come out, um, we were reached out to by Marvel because they wanted all of our files for Iron Man's powers to give. They said, hey, Favreau is asking for like different power ideas. And we knew you guys, you know, Marvel at the time, the Ultimate Alliance was a huge hit. And so they were like, can you just send all like the the Maya, the, the files, the movie files for all those different powers? And so we, you know, maybe they can use something like that in the movie. And of course we were geeks. We were like, oh my God, that's amazing. Um, yes. So we did that. Um, I want to circle back on the PSP exclusives because as I said, I love Nate Gray and I love Cannonball and, and Cable and you also threw in Dark Phoenix. Yeah. Is it, was it just timing that you couldn't get them? I, or, or was it, negotiable or was a negotiating contract thing with you know playstation yeah it's definitely a little it's a little bit of both like timing wise it was tight for us to fit in any of anything else like we were maxed out we you know yeah you had 11 months yeah it was crazy and they even pulled our data in a couple more weeks so we were like in trouble so then there was this another team that was helping obviously with the developing the psp and they had that more time and we had said, Hey, cable, we'd always want to get them in or whatever. And, um, gotcha. we had kind of thrown them our list of like, uh, different characters that we potentially thought of. And luckily there's some fans over there, but the Sony stuff, definitely they got involved, like even to the point where man, and later, I think in like the Marvel and the ultimate Alliance, like it's kind of amazing at some point corporate structure takes over and it's like, well, just so you know, target wants to see if you can give away this character, as part of their promotion and so-and-so wants this character as part of their promotion. And that was part of the thing with the PSP and the Sony was like, I think that's how dark Phoenix got in there. Cause they, they didn't feel, I don't think that they felt the others were big enough names. Yeah. Um, you know, the cables and, and cannonballs. And I, they, they, they didn't see that, but dark Phoenix, everyone knew that was. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, you know, um, give them a big name like that. And that's, I'm pretty sure that's how she got in there. So cable. So, so I just understand it correctly. Cable, Nate, and um dark phoenix they were on the list to be in the main console game and they then were... it's just production you were just like well we can't do it but the 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 team doing the psp version we can give them that yeah and trust me when i say on the list it was a list of like hey this is it was a you know there's t- tons of characters like you know i think even emma frost was still on there in a sense we were like oh can we just unlock her afterwards or whatever <laughs> so we had given that like these eight or ten different like hey here's a bunch of the characters we had considered what what excites you guys you know the guys gotcha. that were helping with the psp it's an it's an important part of like you just want the teams to be passionate about what they're working on and ultimately those are the four that were decided on i got you i got you so you guys did update uh, the looks for the game. And one of them was Jean who had her hardcore ultimate look with her like really short hair. But this one was sort of a mesh of her long hair with the ultimate look where, you know, and then Ro got more her traditional look as opposed to the ultimate look. Did you guys do that consciously because those looks were poor received or did you just want to do something different? 
Uh, I hope I don't get in trouble with any fans. I am not a huge fan of the ultimate books. No, um, no, no one is. Okay. <laughs> no <laughs> one is. You're, you're totally fine. Don't worry. Uh, I hated Gene's short hair. We because, all hated Gene's short hair. <laughs> it, it actually, yeah, even today, if I Google that picture of her, you know, the, like, listen, the art's great. Artists did a great job. And I oh, just of course. It's not a rag on the, on the art yeah. or anything. It's just the ultimate looks were just not fan favorites. Yeah. And again, it's one of those things where I think somehow Marvel had maybe more of a hands and like Pat kind of talked about this. Pat Libo talked about this previously yeah. is um, they were, they were really pushing that kind of look and oh, I, they absolutely were. I would just, I love color. I like superheroes, man. I want yeah. colorful costumes, Jim Lee stuff. I mean, I just want, I don't know. I like big, bold, impressive colors. And so that's where, that's the direction I wanted to go with as many of the costumes, you know, a bunch of people did. So that's where the motivation for that hair came from. And I, and again, Marvel didn't push back. I was like, dudes, we're getting rid of that hair. You know, <laughs> um, listen, we can kind of keep a nod. Cause at the time you just don't, you never want to totally insult or um, cut off a segment of, you know, potential fandom. Like again, like I did with Psylocke apparently. So it's not like we wanted to get rid of the ultimate look completely. And also, you know, we want to make sure, to not be dismissive of what Marvel wanted either. Um, okay, you know what, I need to ask about like the Psylocke hate you got. Like, what? yeah, it's just oh man, there are people like it's unfortunate because we were making the list of characters to yeah. go on the game, and I didn't realize, and you'd think I would have been smarter, how many female characters I cut out ultimately because suddenly Juggernaut, Toad, and Magneto all had to come in for the for the um, Brotherhood. And it ended up with like a disproportionately more male cast. And yeah, there's just a lot of like, there's, there's a joke that goes around. They call me Dave Vodrak because somebody on some forum was railing against Dave Vodrak, which was me. He couldn't spell my name right. Just railing on this X-Men forum about, oh my God, how much I must hate women and all this other stuff. And like, oh, the team here at Raven loved it. They thought it was the funniest thing oh. ever. So to this day, I still occasionally get called Dave um, Vodrak. So uh, yeah, it was just a lot of, like a couple of emails got sent and I was, I always would respond back to any emails I got sent saying, hey, sorry, love the passion. Um, she just didn't make it. So, I mean, listen, I don't fault fans at all for being passionate. I we all are fans of something. Um, yeah. So, so I've got zero, zero problem with any of the, the passion. No, but you brought in, I mean, we got Strife. We got, again, Destiny. We got Blink. We got so many characters. We got the stuff for Cuckoos. I mean, that game was jam-packed with characters. You did the best you could with that landscape. <laughs> and, you know, when you start looking at it from a production standpoint, like, yeah, you, you have to make room for the Brotherhood. Although, I mean, Toad, like, mm. but I know, I know that's the one that's we had to do it. And Bob was like, "Hey, he'll give us a great character play back and forth." It'll be and good. he was a great playable character, by the way. I mean, his power set was unique. I understand from a production standpoint why you would do that. Was... I'm not a huge I'm not a huge Toad fan, to be totally honest. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't I didn't even like him in the movies. I love the X-Men one and two movies, and I didn't even like him in the movies, but it was like yeah, it's just one of those, you know, it's like he's popular enough, good move set. Um, we had already had experience with him from the first game, so let's include him. So I'm looking at my photo bucket and I'm gonna ask you about two characters. Havoc. You had Havoc there. Yes. You had the skin there. Was he was he cut too in the end as being playable? Yeah. Um Man, he might have been. I'm trying to remember if he was in X Men One. 
He was not. He was supposed to be in X-Men. Yes. One in the dystopian future. He would have been playable. But yeah, that's right. The whole Greek weird, the Zeus, the kind of like <laughs> mythology thing. We're gonna yeah. Do. Yeah. So that's, I think we're totally discussed. I remember discussing that and then just, yeah, again, just didn't make it in. How about Dazzler? Yeah. So, okay. She, she gets talked about a lot and everyone felt like we didn't like, okay, we had Jubilee and we knew what Jubilee's powers were. And Dazzler, it's kind of like with the Kitty Pride thing. It was like, okay, Kitty Pride, could we have done her the same way Nightcrawler worked? But Dazzler, it was discussed. It just, it, that was one of the ones that was close to be on the list. But nobody, I don't know what it was, man. It was like, there wasn't enough love to, and people like the character, but just people are like, eh, we don't know what we do with the powers. It's going to be so different. Uh, and it's going to be so cool um, that we want to include her. Yeah. Yeah, I, I asked because I think she was a P, like Dazzler's nightclub was a PC exclusive. I may be making that up. Um, yeah, man, I don't remember if that was the case. And 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 her skin was there. I, w- I was pleasantly surprised when I found the skin. Or I mean, I'm assuming I was pleasantly surprised. I don't remember <laughs> finding the files there. I don't remember how that happened. But the reason why I'm asking is because I think at the time, I didn't know were these characters meant to be playable and just, you know, for all the reasons we've just discussed were not, or were these just the skins for NPCs that I can now coincidentally utilize? Well, I'll tell you what. So the artists, because we always want to be ahead of schedule mm-hmm. and the artists love doing it. They would crank on skins well before anything was approved. They said, what are you guys even thinking? Gillis realms of possibility. And they would just start putting, adding stuff. And I think, I, I'm sure there were times when um, if they had their own favorite characters, they would just make the skins yeah. <laughs> and then be like, hey, well, you know, the skins are already made, so we could add this even as an NPC. So I know those guys were cranking out. And I bet, I mean, that's what's released on the disc. I'm guessing if like we look back at the old drives at Raven, there are probably more skins that were done for characters um, that were just never completed. Because again, it always meant like, we wanted to make sure and treat every character right. So what we would argue back with the team is like, you guys, it can't just be a skin override. The animators want to make sure they animate it properly. You know, the voiceover, the special conversation. Every time we add another character, it's like, well, what about special conversations? What about just not just doing like lip service? What about some kind of storyline that contains that player or that character? And so we didn't want to just make it a skin override. And, but so that's probably where some of those extra skins came in were just the artists going through doing it on their own. I got that. That's really cool. Um, What was it like working with Sir Patrick Stewart? He Um, came back. Was he signed on for, well, no, because you guys decided to do a sequel. It wasn't like in the contract. He was, it was easy just to get him back. Like you were just like, come on, Sir Pat. I mean, okay. So professional. If like you take away one word from, you know, Mr. Stewart, it was like professional. I could not believe um, he was always there, ready to do the lines, barely had to do any retakes, would ask really good questions. Uh, never, trust me. Um, first of all, okay, so so many things to talk about. So Patrick Stewart, he was great to work with. And no, we didn't have him. And man, was he huge. I just, I couldn't believe Activision got him to even do it. And I couldn't believe like the stuff we were having him say, like, I wonder if he was just reading these scripts going, what am I seeing? It's like, you know, dinosaurs and savage, you know, whatever it is. It's just like the goofiest stuff. He must've just been like, I don't even know these are English words. Um, (laughs) He was fantastic. He would ask like, did you want me to do that again? I mean, some other actors are just like, 
here's what I'm saying. They don't want to be asked to do lines again. And he was just beyond professional, blown away. I'm not sure. Hugh Jackman is right up there with him. Hugh was great when we did the X-Men Origins Wolverine game. Um, and so those two were just beyond professionals, super nice, always on time, never any issues. And they, you know, we had to work across, we were doing recording. Like a lot of times we just do it there in LA, like either we'll fly to LA and we'll do their studio sessions there. Um, or in Patrick's case, he was doing it from, uh, I believe London at the time. And we had to have a kind of special setup and like, you know, to go all the way across um, the pond or whatever. And it was just like, no, you need to do this and that. And they have these things set up. So you were able great. to go to London to record with him? No. So we never did. We only recorded remotely like that. I think only one time we happened to be in LA when we were able to get him in the studio there, but he was really, but you met him IRL. You met him in real life. Uh, yes. So yeah. So barely, cause I was only at that one session. Bob was the guy that did Bob Love. He did like 99% of the sessions with, uh, with, with Patrick. And it was just, yeah, he was super, he was more chill than I would expect um, from those guys. Trust me. Some, some people are not, I won't say who this actor was. We were working on the X-Men Origins Wolverine game and um, there was a character that had a line. This was not Hugh. He was amazing. There was a character that had a line and, um, we were working based off the movie, right? So we had this scene that was in the movie and we had to have a course recreated for the game. And so he gets to this line and he goes, he apparently thought we were the movie guys because he's like, I told you before, we already had this argument. I'm not reading this goddamn line or whatever. He was so upset about this line. And Bob at the time was like, well, if we could just get something close to it. And he refused to do this line because apparently they had a big showdown in the movie. And then no one ever told us about like how apparently he hated this line. Anyway, so some actors can be tough to work with, work with. But um, for the most part, the voice actors that we got, I mean, first of all, Patrick Stewart, amazing, super professional for being so well known. And all the other voice actors, these guys were so geeked to just be voicing some of these people, you know, yeah. like Steve Blum, Wolverine. He was like, he almost like, like he became de facto Wolverine for a while. Yeah, and, no, he, um, this is where he began. I mean, it's so they loved it. They were totally into it. They were they were just willing to do more and more and more lines. Like We had them record so many lines and um they were great. All those voice actors, like that's, I want, I, I want to work with those cartoon guys as much as possible because they are just, mm -hmm. they're so professional when it comes to the, to doing multiple takes and stuff. What was it like working on the CGI? Because that was a glow up. I mean, I love X-Men Legends one, but there, it was a notable difference in the graphics. And even I'm looking at this now and I was obviously looking at YouTube videos, but like, look at storm there she's yeah. gorgeous and i'm curious like, like look at that look at wolverine <laughs> right there what was it like i i remember it, thinking like oh it's only been a year since that game came out and like look at cyclops that opening scene where they rescue xavier and he's here like polaris polaris has been abducted they look so incredible yeah so that was a decision early on by me to say hey listen um we had a lot of movies and X-Men one. And I would rather have a couple of high quality, like, man, the best of the best that we can get that really set the stage for each act. Mm -hmm. And then let the game tell the rest of the story and not interrupt the gameplay as much the story. So we went out and we said, listen, there's this company called blur 
who we have seen their work and it's amazing. And what ends up, what's totally blows me away is that we reached out to Blur, um, you know, CGI company that's like, oh yeah, we can make you great movies or whatever. The dude that founded Blur is uh, co-founded Blur is Tim Miller. Mm-hmm. And he's a huge Marvel fan. And he was like, I'm all over this. And he gave us, trust me, movies are expensive. Those kind of high render movies are expensive. He gave us a massive deal because he was like, I want to do more of these. And I think he was angling to try to convince Marvel to let him make a, almost a full movie. Right. And so blur came on board. They were super passionate about it. Tim was a great guy, super like, uh, into his Marvel. And he would question why this script should be like this. And this script should be like that. He also did the Marvel ultimate Alliance movies as well. What's funny is Tim is the guy that directed Deadpool. First Deadpool yes. movie. Yeah. So and it's like Tim ended up like he I knew he had a huge passion for Marvel. And I think he we, he was even trying to get like an introduction with the Marvel guys at first. And so like we all met together at E3 at one point. And it was crazy that years later he ended up doing an amazing job with the Deadpool movie. And I was like, oh my God, that's Tim from Florida, like back <laughs> and and it was all just because it was like, let's find someone that could do an amazing job with these movies. Um so Blur was man, they gave us a bargain, let me tell you. But they, they did a they did a great job. I love the scene where I believe it's Apocalypse who grabs a knife and throws it to Archangel and Archangel grabs it. And then like the screen, like just the way it like spins around him and you see that hate in his eyes. How was it like to finally bring Angel Archangel to the game? And and that was, again, to the listeners who didn't listen to our uh, episode with Patrick, that was a concept they wanted and you were able to carry it out. And would he have been playable or was it still like an animation problem with the wings? Cause I know the wings are their own characters. Yeah. At the time there was definitely that animation problem with the wings. And um, I was so happy to get him in there because again, I actually think Archangel is the cooler version of Angel. I oh, don't know agreed. why. Just, it's just like, Oh, it's so cool. What, what we were trying to do, like what we had originally talked about is we, me and Bob were like, is there any way to redeem him early enough? Like, get him to that point, but then redeem him so the player could play as him and just like kick ass with him for a while and see what that feels like. And the reveal of like him and then having to fight him as the boss battle all kind of just came too late. By that point, it was like, no, we're already like story momentum wise, we're on our way to, to Apocalypse. So it didn't make sense there. And yeah, I think we later figured out how to handle those kind of appendages better, but um, that's really what because of the way the camera worked and the wings, that was where it was, it was tough to, to deal with him, but we loved the rage. I was like, I just want to make sure we get across how angry this dude is. Um, and yeah, it was a lot of fun. I'm glad we finally, it was, it was fun considering we thought we were going to do an X-Men Legends one to make it happen in X-Men Legends two. I do have some listener questions. Great. And they're fun. Are you ready for them? Let's do it. Okay. The first question, where's X-Men Legends three? (laughs) <laughs> and, and and I think a lot of people are asking that because it was left open for a sequel with Sinister there at the end. And then we jumped into Ultimate Lines. So it was, where is X-Men Legends 3? Uh, I don't, I, I don't want to crush anybody's dreams. I'm not sure you'll ever see. No! X-Men Legends 3 from Raven. I just... I mean, the passion's there. It's just, I don't know if it's going to line up with what we want to do. I could, I mean, I could tell you what we had planned. Yes. What um, did you plan for X-Men so, Legends 3? Well, we wanted to do for X-Men Legends 3 was, 
we were going down the trail. We loved this idea that Sinister was going to kind of wrap everything that happened in one and part of what happened in two and, you know, bring that into X-Men Legends 3. And so we, the initial story ideas was to go with Onslaught. Um, for, <laughs> I for love X-Men Onslaught Legends. so much. <laughs> so because we love the idea of being able to say, hey, Shadow King in one, you know, and he had trapped Professor X and used part of his mind. And then um, Apocalypse said, we we're going to use the angle with Quicksilver. Like we we're going to try to say, hey, well, uh, Quicksilver. And that's kind of where the DNA from um, Magneto comes from. And ultimately, Mr. Sinister, that's why he was so happy on top of that pyramid, because he wanted Apocalypse defeated. He didn't care. His goal was never to. Have, he just needed Apocalypse to bring these guys together, um, you know, to grab what he needed um, and then ultimately make Onslaught for uh and again, we w- would not have any kind of official onslaught story. We would have done our own thing um, with it. And what we had talked about was, and we weren't, was we were talking about letting you make your own character. So we had kind of written up a whole design doc where what we wanted was the player to have this secret background um, that you would just like when you first create your character, you would just pick just a few sentences of the background. And ultimately you didn't know what happened until the end and you'd find out like one version was your background was that you were actually created in a weapon X um, by uh, by the weapon X program. And you were going to be able to like defeat onslaught that way. Another was like, well, no Bishop actually brought you from the future and you didn't realize that your memories were wiped. And he brought back because the future that onslaught kind of days of future passing, the, the onslaught future, he does win and this world becomes corrupted and, and, you know, everything goes to hell. And so Bishop brings you back in time. So we were trying to like pull in multiple different storylines from what we were going to do with your character. But ultimately we just were like, are people going to be accepting of you playing as your own character or do people just ultimately want to play as the X-Men slash brotherhood again? So um, that's kind of where our head was headed for three, for sure. It was like, it was going to be an onslaught story. Um, based on that character so so that's as far as we got though before we moved on to obviously ultimate alliance well so onslaught was a not only a a big x-men crossover it was a big marvel crossover were you thinking that maybe you could bring in the avengers that way so yeah that's totally that for 100 so we had thought to ourselves hey if we if we start this like we just kind of unlocked that we had opened the gate a little bit with Iron Man in X-Men Legends 2. And it right. was like, can we can we open that door even further with Onslaught? Like, not at first, like it's still supposed to be an X-Men-based game. Um, but can we do it that way? And so those were some of the initial discussions about that. And um, that's where we had hoped it was going. And I don't know if ultimately, I can tell you, I mean, I know how we ultimately got to Ultimate Alliance, how that ended up there um but it was all about at first it was hey create your character go against onslaught even potentially um <sighs> that just sounds so great yeah and we talked about like what if we let the player choose to ultimately side with onslaught is that possible um could you choose to be good or evil the answer uh, is yes always so, side with yeah onslaught. i know and that's know. very telling of the time you had fable that was yes. infamous for that level of storytelling and, and those choices. And I, I think we'll, we would see those choices play out in Ultimate Alliance and sort of how the, the with the game endings. Yeah, exactly. Where is the re-release of this game? Exclamation point, exclamation point, question mark. 
Yeah, I know. I know they did. You know, I, it's a bummer. It's like I, I wish I had some kind of control over that. I absolutely wish I do. I know they really re-released something. It might have been Marvel Ultimate Alliance a few years ago, but I think I don't think people were happy with necessarily how they did it. That is, unfortunately, yeah, it's out of our hands. Uh, I would love it. I would absolutely love it if they could re-release it. Agreed. Agreed. If anyone from Marvel is listening to this and they have the power to re-release X-Men Legends, <laughs> please. Here's another one. Uh, can you? Can we get a remastered copy, please? <laughs> yeah, that would be great. That would oh, be man, wonderful. Oh, God, the art, the team, the art team would absolutely love, oh, man, making all those costumes. That'd be amazing. Oh, that would be wonderful. Yeah, if you guys just like reskinned the game and just kept everything. Oh, God, that would be chef's kiss. Hang on, because you already answered most of these questions. I'm just trying to. Oh, no, yeah, no worries, man. Um, how do you I, I don't know what this question is. So, you know, you, you would know. Uh, how do you translate comic book powers to static video game format with LTD buttons? I mean, I'll tell you this. It's we kind of found our groove with the idea that it was like once we could, you know, you could use that one button, I think the trigger button to kind of open up those four powers. And it was just like, once we got gotten that group of like, Hey, some are defensive, some are offensive. One of them is a boost. Um, it actually became, we had more powers than we knew what to do with. Like when I look back at some of the old sheets for like, Hey, what could we make? Um, whatever Cyclops's powers. There's just so many possibilities of what we could do. Uh, it was always like, what's the most iconic? That was first. Like, what's everyone going to be expect to be able to do? Like, Storm's got to throw whirlwinds. At the time, you're sitting there thinking, well, that doesn't make sense. Like, we don't even have the physics for that. How is it going to work? It's just, that was a ton of fun to figure out how to do it. Or like Scarlet Witch, man, and like the, all that kind of nonsense we could do with her. That was just a ton of fun. Um, and it was up to the programmers at the time that would go, hey, and animators to go, yep, we can figure out a way to stretch bones if we want to do this or that. So, um, there's tons of fun to make those different powers. That's for sure. Was, was there ever a character that you just felt like, Oh, I don't want to be working on this character. Cause it's too pro not that you had a vendetta against a character or anything, unless it was beast. That's totally fine. But where you're like, Oh, like I can't get the powers right. This character is so troublesome from like a glitchy perspective. Like, I think I'm trying to ask like, who was your least favorite character to work on? in the game and knowing listeners it's not a personal attack on the on the character just because of the mechanics and everything yeah the ones that were the the psionic kind of powers were just a little you're not talking about gene gray are you (laughs) it's where you go after that that was always our problem with that it was like we felt like we had stretched it so far where it was like okay they can pick stuff up they can throw it around we can, I guess, come up with energy mind blast, but that didn't seem as good as like we wanted like to control other characters and like, you oh, know, yeah. like th- we had talked about stuff like that. So I think those kind of the psychic powers were just a little limiting in terms of like what we could do with it. We felt it was a lot of fun making them at first. And then it was like, well, how much farther can we go with these with these characters versus just the much more physical you know, it's just, just so much more you can do with like when you know like a character has a special weapon they use, um, you know, or like, you know, Ghost Rider's chains or whatever it is. It was like, hey, those are new different ways to handle this um, character. So I just think it got a little like, even the effects guys were like, hey, there's only so many different ways I can represent Psychic. It's just a tough deal to kind of get across in a video game. I can't believe you came on my front lawn and you're telling me Jean Grey and Nate Grey were the characters 
<laughs> that gave you the most grievance, or the psionic characters. I cannot believe that. <laughs> um, I guess your name is David now, right? Was it? Yes. Is that what they said? Dave. Yes, Dave Hodrag. <laughs> yeah. 